I want to speak to you this morning on what I have called holy ambition. Holy ambition. So you can know by this that we are not talking about the quest for the perfect uh, decaffeinated coffee. We're not talking about the quest for a new soccer manager for Manchester United. If that goes above your head, it's going over all of our heads in the last little while. Uh, I want to talk about ambitions that are noble and high. Ambitions that are born in the heart of God, not just for his own glory, but ambitions in the heart of God that are, that are born for our good. Even little moments of those prophetic encouragements this morning about that shower head, and it can sound so trivial, but it's really what I see in that is God breaking in to our world to remind us that uh, we possibly are not living our lives at an optimum level of understanding and empowerment. And it's like God says, I want you to know I've got more for you. And I'm hoping that we will we'll land somewhere with that deepened conviction. And around March last year, Sue and I experienced, for the first time in our lives, a season as COVID broke in South Africa and we went into these extended periods of lockdown and it's crazy. I don't want to get into uh, the mechanics of that as much as to say we've all had to grapple with making sense of this. How do we live our lives uh, in this abnormal world? The word corona actually means crown in Latin. And how can we live our lives not yielding or overbowing to this as though this is the ultimate governing reality of our moment in history? Is there not something of God who is seated forever on his throne that needs to grip us? And uh, as a leader in a, in a reasonably large network of churches, uh, Sue and I came a little unglued. I wish I could just tell you how we win every day, but I need to be able to tell you that that we found some moments, we went for some prayer walks when we were allowed to walk for like 10 minutes a day or somewhere down the road. And Sue was walking and I said to her, how are you doing? And she just started to sob uncontrollably. And I thought, oh, time for my great strength to kick in here and just hold her and bring her through and uh, you know, pastor my own wife well. Two days later, we're playing Scrabble. And while we're playing Scrabble, I just sobbed. I just burst into tears. I said, I'm missing the kids. I'm missing our grandkids. And I'm not sharing this because I want to elicit any sympathy from you. I'm just trying to share something of how God began to break into our lives in a, in a new way. And we had to hold each other. And we had to you know, be before the Lord and ask for his grace, ask for his help. And... Uh, Part of what I wrestled with was the sense that everything had changed for us as a family. Everything had changed for our church. It felt like the giant pause button had been turned on and we didn't know how long this was going to take and what kind of people would we be on the other side of this and what would emerge. And We weren't able to save our church from this. We weren't able to save our, our kids from this. And it was like these gloomy clouds. And of course, 
on this side of where we are now, looking back, it all seems rather pathetic. <laughs> but um, something happened in the June that totally transformed our lives. I get a phone call out of the blue from an American. I just want to give you the highlights, a very quick thing. They were uh, busy uh, stewarding a, a, a large Christian campsite. And this guy phones and he says, uh, our retreat center that served, you know, all kinds of disadvantaged kids and our, our, you know, school camps, church camps, alpha camps, all of those kind of things, we're closing and we need somebody to come and take this thing and make it work for now and for future generations. It was like God was gate crashing our present with a picture of something that, that was his holy ambition for our lives that we need to cycle out of that despair and start to realize, you know, God's plans for the world can't be paused. There's no such thing as God's ambition and his purposes in the gospel ever being postponed. And the end result was this guy said, we've been praying and we feel like you should buy this in the middle of COVID, finances going through the floorboards, Huge amount of money in a South African context. I don't want to get into the weeds on that. Just to say this. We felt in this worst time of our lives, God give us a vision of something, the best kind of thing could, that could happen for our city and for thousands of people. And as we stand before you today, in no way am I wanting to boast of anything other than the sense of God giving us a conviction that we can make a difference to a million lives in 100 years, a million lives in 100 years. And the beauty of that is when you get that conviction, you realize that you're not gonna be around to see it happen. And what that does is it empowers you to wanna bring everyone else into that vision and realize it's gonna need to be multi-generational and you know what gets sorted out in that moment. Ego, big egos, big personalities. You begin to feel like, hang on, we're servants to something bigger than will happen in our lifetime. And Peter and I, on our walks yesterday, we began to talk about this quest for the 100-year-plus vision. I'm not talking about all the detail of it. It's going to have, always is going to have blurred edges. But you can have a sense of banking some things in the middle. You can have a sense of, you know, God has not dialed out of planet Earth. He's been at work in the world, in through his son, for 2,000 years. But for all of eternity, he's been upholding all things by the word of his power. And he is not going to step off his throne anytime soon. Now, you're allowed to say, we agree with that sort of mildly. The end result is we landed this thing, transferred into our name in January this year, in the middle of the most ridiculous uncertainty, no funding from within our church. God began to bring funding from outside of our church. And as I stand in front of you today, it is a miracle. It is a miracle of the grace of God. And now we're going to be telling our church the story and it's becoming like, are you serious? Is this something that's happened during COVID? And we're doing it because we didn't want to put the burden on our people. But at the moment, we've moved from what was a fight for viability to I can stand in front of you with integrity and say this thing has now uh, uh, got momentum of its own. God 
uh, has got us on our, uh, you know, right through this journey, kept us on our needs to know that we'll never pull this off on our own. It will be by His grace. And I'm, I'm sharing that as just a testimony of what can happen in our lives when we don't have ambitions breaking in. We can, it's, you know, it's, we can live with a sure our ambition is for a really full-bodied suntan or another martini in the jacuzzi. That, well, you know, we enjoy good things, and it's wonderful to have all these blessings from God, but we need a bigger narrative. We need a bigger story. We need a bigger vision of what God wants to do in the world. So I want to answer three questions this morning. We're going to get into some scripture. Three questions. What is holy ambition? What is it? How do you get it? And what does it look like when you've got it? So the first question is what is holy ambition? And we're going to read together from Romans chapter 15 from verse 18 to 24. It'll be on the screens. And uh, this, is about, this is about Paul and his ministry. We don't want you to read this through the lens of, I'm going to do what Paul did. I want you to see the governing principles in his life that are good for all people in all churches and all uh, places. And he says this, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition. Will you say that out loud? I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions and since I've long, longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel but Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, I want you to see, number one, Paul was controlled by holy ambition, some drives to, to see the gospel multiplied in, in the, within the geography. It was like a holy compulsion. And then he says these words in verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered in coming to you. Now think clearly about this. I want you to see something here. He wanted to get to Rome, the people who are receiving this letter, but he didn't. He wanted to be among them. At this point, he'd never got there. And so what you need to see is the ambition at work in Paul's life is keeping him from doing what he really wanted to do. I want to come see you brothers and sisters in Rome. I want to come and eat your food. I want to come and be with you. I want to come and build relationships. But the holy ambition to take the, re the gospel to regions beyond stopped him. And here's the governing principle. When holy ambition gets a hold of our hearts, it'll get us to say no Yes to trivial things. Yes to distractions. 
But more importantly, it'll get us to say no to good things. It'll get, get us to say no to things that are not morally wrong. They are just competition for the primary thing that God is calling us to do. And I think all of us need to maybe just let the ask God to open up those shower heads in our own lives to just get a sense of what are, what are we competing with? What is the stuff that dilutes our sense of being gripped by holy ambition? When it really gets a hold of us, it gets, helps us to say no. When I was a young youth pastor, my father phoned me out of the blue and said, Rig, why don't you come work for me? I want to get you ready to take over the business that I have. And I had to say no. I want to tell you, when I said no, I felt, oh my dear, all my problems have gone. My dad's offer was a sympathy offer at that point. He wasn't a believer. But I said no to him because I'd said yes to something superior. In Cape Town, we have some really, from Cape Town, you've got some great holiday destinations. One of them is called Plettenberg Bay up the coast. And a terrible place to go on holiday is a place called Puffada in the northern, <laughs> northern Cape. Now, now, when you say, oh, we're going on holiday to Plett, and you get in the car with all your family, and you say, come on kids, let's sing together. We're going to Plett, we're going to Plett, yay, we're going to Plett. You don't sing. We're not going to Pofada. We're not going. You don't sing that. Pofada's not even on the table when you've said yes to going to Plet. That's how early ambition works. It becomes something that isn't just God's horrible will breaking into our lives. It's God's glorious purposes breaking over our lives in a way that summons us to be part of a bigger story. We don't shrink into Pofada dimensions of life. And this holy ambition is holy because it comes from God. It comes from God. And we've got to be careful of these dichotomies in our age where we have our secular life, our family life. We want holy ambition to break over all of our lives so that our marriages, our parenting, our workplace mission, our love for our neighbors, our sense of wanting to be an island of hope in the sea of despair. That's the role of the church, the city set on a hill. People say, who are you guys? Your families are just so vibrant and healthy and you guys have so much fun and you really do life together in a way that's so compelling and, and we, you, you guys are changing. You look like you be, you're becoming less angry, more joyful. Who are you? Where do you come from? Take me to your leader. A city set on its hill. That's what Jesus says we are. John Stott says, ambitions for God, if they are to be worthy, can never be modest. There's something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. How can we ever be content that he should acquire just a little bit more honor in the world? No, folk, the climax of history is God. He is the final prize of our hearts. And all of history culminates when Jesus returns with his big bunch of keys and says, gentlemen, ladies, it is closing time. I'm taking over. That's the climax of history. That's where it's all going. Until then, he's breaking in and stirring us to see it and be awakened to that reality. 
Okay, that's the first com uh, question. Second question, how do you get holy ambition? And this is really cool when you see it in this passage. I know you're going to like this. Verse 20, Paul says in the same passage, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have, who, who have never heard will understand. Think about this. Who's saying this? Paul's writing a letter to the Romans. He's talking about his call, which came to him when? In Acts chapter 9, when he gets radically converted, and Ananias comes and prays over him, and later in Acts chapter 26, Paul describes some of what Ananias had prophesied over him and said, Paul, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. You're going you're to turn people from Satan, from darkness, to the light of, of, of the gospel. But now he's writing to the Romans, and he doesn't use his personal testimony on the Damascus Road. And something amazing is happening here. Just think about this. Paul could have made himself really look good in front of the, the Romans to say, hey, I've got a hotline to heaven. God met me. I've got technicolor, three-dimension visions of uh, when, when God called me into his purposes. Wow, it was amazing. Uh, you should have been there when God called me. Where does holy ambition come from when he's trying to impart it, when he's trying to stir it up to the Romans? He says these words. As it is written, as it is written from Isaiah 52 and verse 15, those who have never been told of him and those who have never heard will understand. Paul is saying something absolutely amazing. You know why our shower heads get clogged with too much of the noise of our culture, too much of the stuff out there. You know how they get blocked? It's simply because we don't get enough washing of the water of the word of God. We don't get enough scripture. And Paul is doing the most humble thing. He's saying you don't get holy ambition for looking for the bigger prophet to come to town to stir it in you. I love it when, that, when prophetic words can confirm what God's already wanting to say to you. And what we do, we have a lot of people who have appetite for supernatural uh, subjective encounters. What Paul's doing here with the Roman church, he says, I want you to know that my ambition for you and for these regions comes from my encounter with Scripture in Acts, in, in Isaiah, not Hosea, but it was a nice try. Isaiah, what did you say? Isaiah. Isaiah. Jen, why don't you just get up here and preach this message? You're doing so well. I know some of you are saying, oh yes, please, we love that preacher. <laughs> so I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us. Are we in the Word, like every now and then, like into a swimming pool and when it suits us, or are we under the Word? Is the Word of God over us? Because that is what the Lordship of Jesus Christ means. Jesus said, you know, if, if you believe in me and believe in my words and put them into practice, that's what I'm looking for. People who will, this isn't jumping through the hoops of religious duty. This is like newborn babes. And you never stop having that desire, desire the milk of God's word. 
Peter's writing to mature Christians when he says, as newborn babes. He's not saying you are newborn babes. He's saying, like you did when you were a newborn babe, are you still feasting on the milk of God's word, the foundational truths? Are they running through the riverbed of your life? Oh, my dear. There was a time when, about 11, 12 years ago, I was reading in Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. You see, if you just do it regularly, read the scriptures, read the scriptures, what happens is you think you're reading the scriptures, but Jesus Christ walks out of the scriptures and he arrests your heart in profound ways. And I'm reading Acts 5, 28. Peter and John have been arrested. They've been put in jail. And the Pharisees say to them, didn't we warn you? Didn't we forbid you to preach in his name? And now look what you've done. You fill the city with your message. I'm reading this in my devotions. I think, well, that's quite interesting. I think I'd like that to be put on my tombstone. Krista, you're gonna come, you're gonna put flowers there. I want, I want that to be something that defines my life. I said, okay, Lord, what are you saying? He says, well, I want you to fill Cape Town with the life, message, and fame of Jesus. I'm not talking about common ground only, with the rest of God's church, of course. And that became a journey where we began to collaborate as elders and plant our first church into Seapoint and then another one into Constantiaburg. And in a space of 11 years, 11 churches were planted. This is not a boast. It's more to do, just see this. It's, we read something that had our name on it and we said, this is profound. You can fill the city with a message. We can be part of that. That profound sense of God breaking in and now we're on the other side of that and there's all kinds of changes happening in common ground as, as I speak and it's all good and we're excited by it. But uh, uh, I can say to you, after 25 years this coming February of leading in that community, Sue and I have never been more thrilled, more excited about wanting to serve the purposes of God in our generation. We're so excited. Last question. What does holy ambition look like? Well, I'm so glad you've asked this question. Maybe just to put it through these filters quickly, what does it look like? Number one, it'll ultimately bring glory to God. God makes everything for his glory. And so he won't skirt legal lines to accomplish his purposes. <laughs> and he'll never ask you to do something that uh, is unethical in order to sort of help God in his purposes. But when God starts to stir up holy ambition, it'll bring hope, it'll bring love, it'll bring peace, it'll bring righteousness. And when that happens, God gets the glory. Why? Because all of those things reflect his character. Secondly, not, just, not only will it bring glory to God, it'll bring benefit to others. Anything that involves taking advantage of other people is not from God, full stop. We've got to want more for people than from people. That's what holy ambition does. That's what it, it, it wires you with this motivation to want to add to people's life. It's like the stirring to write a book or start love on a hanger or love on little hangers. I nearly said, what? <laughs> no. Okay, I'm not going to, 
But all of these things are amazing opportunities because they bring blessing to others. And from Lyft, you're splashing grace on other parts of the world. I know that you've, you've got all kinds of focuses for that, and that is just absolutely amazing. Maybe we need to think about what it would mean to become a foster parent or adopt or to, you know, to, to uh, think of how we do business strategically in a way that it becomes more integrated where it's possible. It's not always possible when you're working for other bosses. And thirdly, it will be bigger than you can handle on your own. You will never, ever, none of us will fulfill God's ambition if it's all about ambition for me, my, our. It's got to be ambition that will, will enlist others to fulfill it. If you're doing it all on your own, then you're an island, and God wants the islands to return to the mainland, particularly in this post-COVID. As we re-emerge, we need to stand shoulder to shoulder and realize that as we collaborate, we can do sensational things for God's glory. So in coming into land, holy ambition has, has four dimensions. Four dimensions. Holy ambition goes big, it goes deep, it goes wide, and it goes high. I'm not going to spend too much time on these, but just hopefully it can encourage you. And I want to read from 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, where Paul writes, and all of these passages are Pauline uh, uh, mindset feeding this whole notion of holy ambition. And he says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Code for lights go on. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, say that out loud, and we all. It's American, and we all. Okay. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, question. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if you're on the journey there, good to know what you're heading toward and what you're going to experience in the days ahead. Question to ask, what would the Holy Spirit's indwelling ambition be in your life? Would it be to upskill you in business, perhaps? Would it be to, to uh, uh, you know, fill you with more wisdom to help and counsel other people, perhaps. I think the primary vision of the Holy Spirit for your life and mine is not to call me to do things in a new way or in a better way to improve. God's primary ambition is to give me a vision of the kind of person I'm becoming. If we have a vision for ministry and life and work that is not connected to God's vision for my personal transformation. And here's the Holy Spirit's vision. He wants to transform me into the image of Jesus. He wants to make me more like Christ. That needs to be front and central. What does holy ambition look like? Well, we've got to go big. And the biggest thing in holy ambition is our personal transformation from one degree of glory to the next. There's nothing more beautiful than a life being progressively transformed. And we don't graduate until Christ returns. See, what I have is God's gift to me. What I become in the years ahead 
is my gift to God. I want to say, Lord, I want to become more like your son. There's nothing more noble. There's nothing bigger than that ambition in our lives. And I want you to know that language Paul uses, and we all, and we all with unveiled face, the shame is gone, beholding the glory of Jesus, we are being transformed into his image. We all. This isn't like, like a big ambition for the select few, for the leaders. From the time our lives come under the loving care of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, he, by his spirit, is transforming us. I love that story of the sculptor in the first century with a big block of marble and he's chipping away and chipping it away and one of his students comes past and says, excuse me sir, what are you doing? And he says, I'm sculpting a horse. Comes back the next day and there he is sculpting away, chisel and hammer, chisel and hammer. And he says to him, what are you doing sir? What are you doing? I can't see what you're doing. He says, I told you, I'm sculpting a horse. He said, sir, I don't understand. Explain it to me more. He says, well, what I'm doing is I'm putting this chisel in and I'm hitting away everything in this rock that is not a horse. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, the scriptures, and puts them into the crevices and the shaping of our lives and he starts to serve notice on us and says it's not okay to be an angry, prideful, disrespectful person. It's not okay to be a selfish consumer. Uh, that's not what Jesus is like. I'm, I'm turning you into something so beautiful. I'm getting ready for eternity because when you become more like Jesus, you're getting fit for heaven. You don't earn heaven. You start to evidence it in this life. And so, last point on this is to be heir to his blessings, Christ's blessings, and not to his nature. He's unbiblical at best and perhaps blasphemous at worst, to think that we can serve him, be part of what he's doing, and not resemble him is a tragedy. And then the next we'll do very quickly, the slide uh, on, on 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10, Paul writes this, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim, our life goal, our ambition to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. The word evil there really means what's good or worthless. What lives on gold, silver, precious stone. What just gets consumed, wood, hay, stubble. And here we're not going, we've looked at what it means to go big, but God's, uh, holy ambition also goes wide. Notice this language. So whether we're at home here in this life or away in heaven, it's like a kind of a timeline, whether it's now in the present or there in the future. It captures this breadth of time. And as I meditated on this verse with a little bit of latitude, I see intergenerational, multi-generational dimensions in this. I was in one of our congregations a little while back and I had my granddaughter, first granddaughter, Madison. She was holding my hand and as we were worshiping Light of the world, you step down into dark. I'm holding a little hand, and it's sweaty, and it's beautiful, and she gives me a squeeze. And I'm thinking, God, it doesn't get better than this because my kids are two rows back. 
Madison's with me. My son is an elder in one of these congregations. And the other kids are creating havoc all over, but they're mine. And we're in the story of God. And we're going we're gonna to stay in the story of God. We're not going anywhere. The, we're not doing this because I'm a leader or a pastor. I'm just so excited that I might not be here forever, but this little life, the gospel, can go from generation to generation. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, that faith that once lived in your, your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and now it also lives in you. This thing, the gospel, is a power that can go from life to life. It can move down generations. It can shape communities. It can shape cities. I'm so excited to hear some of the stories here in Lyft of a new junior youth being born. I want to just say, moms and dads, get in on that story. Chat with Jenny. She hasn't asked me to say this. I'm just, or she did say she'd pay me if I said it, but I, <laughs> I just want to say I'm so excited by this to see the way you guys are bringing your kids uh, uh, into this, this uh, rolling mall of life and grace and blessing. What a, what a joy. And more than just those timelines whether it's here or there, there's also a geog geographical thing, whatever you've got. The gospel always has a forwarding address. We here in Lyft are not the last frontier. Thank God for our other brothers and sisters in other communities. But we need to believe that Jesus Christ has ambitions for this region, for Zook, for the Canton, for places beyond. It's in your website, I saw it, around some of those those things that have been spoken into the foundations of the church. Third thing, it's not just go big, not just go wide, it's go deep. We make it our aim to please him. Our hearts start to want to yield. When you hear a call that says, those of you that want to be baptized, that's really a call for those of you that want to go deep. Those of you that want to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He got baptized he didn't need to, but he set it as an example for us to fulfill righteousness. And he said, this is, if you want to follow me, then follow me through the waters of baptism. This is not a badge that you get from lift. This is a marking of your life by faith as you follow Jesus Christ. It comes to the way we steward our, our resources and our finances. What does it mean to go deep is to say, Lord, how do I please you in this? And... Uh, there are so many ways that you can be a radically obedient and generous people as you, as you follow Jesus Christ. And then again, this point, it's, it's we. We make it our ambition. We've got to do this in community. We've got to do it in our togetherness. We've got to do it in life groups. You'll never be able to be a radical follower of Jesus on your own. You're going to need to be doing life with others. I don't know if it's on Zoom, if it's prayer groups, if it's accountability groups. Somehow, you need to be doing it with other people. This isn't me putting anything on you. It's wanting you know God has ambitions to transform us. And what does it look like? Well, we're going deeper with other people in this journey as well. And last point. Godly ambition goes high. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil or worthless. This is about the ultimate beamer seat of Christ when we stand before Christ and his nail-pierced hand gets put on our shoulder and our works and our followership is evaluated and some of it is wood, hay, and stubble, you're still his, but others are gold, silver, precious stones. 
this, the ambition that broke into your moment in history. God fulfilled his plans. Gold, silver, precious stones. And he says, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What we do here connects to a moment in the future that is glorious. We are not just jumping through hoops. We are becoming more like Jesus, serving Jesus' purposes, wanting to see the gospel ring out, but we know that there's a day coming when we will hear heaven's approval on our lives. As I end and Pete gets up, Pete gets up just to round off the meeting, can I ask you a few application questions? What's getting us up in the morning? If the loudest voice in our lives is our job and the demands, I want to say time for a shower. <laughs> time for some of the washing of the water of the word because when you're called, yes, you are in the marketplace, yes, but it's the way that they can intersect. So you're rooted in the purposes of God in your moment of Christian. You're not just transient following through. This church, lift, needs people to be rooted into it in deeper ways. What's firing your soul and your passions? What's your highest joy? They say that the graveyards, not the Swiss vaults, are the richest places in the world. Because in the graveyards lie buried the unfulfilled dreams, the unfulfilled prophecies. In the graveyards lie buried the unfulfilled redemptive potential of individuals, families, and churches. It doesn't have to be like that. When God gets a hold of our hearts in new ways, it is glorious. And today is an opportunity for us just to, to feel the Lord stirring us to break out of our small, out of our narrow, out of our shallow, out of our low, out of our trivial, and we can do it. You know why? Because God went big when he sent his son into the world. <laughs> we sang today, he didn't want heaven without us, so he sent heaven down. And heaven was packaged in the God-man, Jesus Christ, who gate-crashed history. He says, you might not want me, but I want you, and I'm coming after you in my son. He found a way in this big vision to bind us to his goodness forever through the cross. Not only did he go big, but he went wide with both arms outstretched on the cross. He said, whosoever will may come. The book of Revelation, he, he adds this last cry, let him who is thirsty come and let him drink freely from these waters of life that satisfy. Not only did he go wide, he also, God has gone deep. Uh, See, God accepts us as we are because his grace is so powerful and Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins, but he does not leave us as we are. We need a vision for personal transformation into the person, and that's God's vision for our lives. God has gone big. He's saying, yeah, think of that. Put your shoulders back. If you ever wondered, oh, I, I feel so small in the universe and I feel so insignificant, the God and Father of Jesus Christ looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I've got a template for your life. It's Jesus Christ. You will be baptized with so much dignity and affirmation and significance when you are being transformed into the image of Jesus and we'll be released from all our petty pathologies that are undermining our identity. We'll be blasted into a new way of living, and of course, Jesus went high. 
when he was raised from the dead to guarantee everything we're speaking about this morning because he is alive and active and at work and ready to hear our prayers and our cry. He is risen from the dead for our justification. He's saying, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad about you. I want to be part of your life. I want you to know me. And he says, more than that, I'm your high priest. If you blow it, I'm going to mention your name. There is enough grace flowing to transform you, even when you messed it up. I'll coach you into my sorry, and I'll coach you into my victory. He says, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And maybe against that backdrop, let's just bow our heads in prayer.